0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com/slash business gold
1: This is episode number 1179 with Dr. Tracy Baxley. Welcome back, my friend. Today's guest is Dr. Tracy Baxley, and she is a professor, consultant, and parenting coach and speaker, and as an educator for more than 30 years with degrees in child development, elementary education, and curriculum and instruction, she specializes in diversity and inclusion, anti-biased curriculum, and social justice education. And she's written a new book called Social Justice Parenting. In a world that's so divided, it's become even more critical that we raise the next generation to create a more inclusive, just and fair world. So in this episode, we break down the most important principles all parents should know right now. How to raise children without overparenting them, the important conversations you should have with your children, Often, how to navigate raising children in a world filled with injustice, what adults should avoid saying to their children, and so much more. And if you're enjoying this at any moment, make sure to send this to a few people that you think would be inspired and empowered to help them improve their life as well. And if this is your first time here, click the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and stay notified and up to date from the latest and greatest from the School of Greatness podcast. Each week, we've got some incredible content just like this. And I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week. This is from Joe, who left a review over on Apple Podcasts and said, I love that every episode contains different information and resources to apply to my life. It's everything from sleep to relationships to mental health to physical health. Love the content and love how well-rounded it is to help me become more well-rounded myself. So big thank you to Joe. And if you want a chance to be shouted out on the podcast, make sure to leave a review over on Apple Podcasts right now because every week we are shouting out the fan of the week. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only... Dr. Tracy Baxley. Do you think there's any parents out there today who had parents who were emotionally available, had tools about communication, self-regulating their emotions, not taking things personally? Do you think that's, any parents had that?
0: I don't think anybody does that completely, (laughs) right? Right. As human beings, (laughs) yep, yep. So we have to learn how to do it more often uh-huh. or when we're not doing it well, to be open about that. Like mm-hmm. I go to my kids and was like, you know what? I I, I, I screwed up, yeah. right? I should not have said that, or I shouldn't have said it in that way. This is what I really meant. I was feeling mm-hmm. hurt or angry or hungry or whatever right. at that time. Um, and what I said to you does not align with our core values of our house.
1: Mm. So taking values. accountability and responsibility yes, is yes. important for parents. So
0: kids will know, okay, This isn't right, Mm. right? This was a mistake so that um, when they are making the same mistakes, they don't leave their house thinking that this is just the way of being, but that these are things that we are growing in. These are roles that we're growing in.
1: How do parents have the awareness to actually take accountability and not just say, no, I'm never wrong and my way is the highway. My way of the highway is, I mean, how do parents learn that?
0: I think just being open, right? You have to be open to relearning and unlearning um i think reading things like our books right um podcasts are really great i think that people just have to be open to learn be open to learning right um no matter how small the steps are Um, and i think the other thing is reflecting on your own childhood of what it felt like for you Mm. and say okay this made me feel this way when when i was little and I realize I'm doing the same thing, so then let me figure out how to unpack that one thing so that my right. kids are not feeling what I felt when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. I'm
1: excited about this. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of uh, messy conversations happening in the world, obviously, more so in the last couple of years about how to really navigate conversations, how to navigate social justice, anti-racism, all these different things What do you think a parent should be equipped with before, you know, their kids are able to communicate with them? What do you think should be the baseline of their understanding on how to raise conscious, compassionate kids?
0: I think, first of all, you have to recognize it is messy and you're going to make mistakes, (laughs) right? It's not a straight path. It's very windy Mm -hmm. um, and there's no one right way of getting there. So I think walking in with that idea that I'm gonna get it wrong, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. is really important. Um, And not really thinking that you have to make huge changes. Right? If you are moving forward a little bit, today that's good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that social justice doesn't mean that you are at every rally. I really believe that social justice and activism really starts in your own house. Like, Mm -hmm. What are you saying to your children? What are you reading with your children? What kind of conversations are you having with your own children? How you're raising them? What are the core values in your house? That really is the start of really social justice work, mm-hmm. um, because my little saying is what you what you do in the privacy of your own homes shows up in the in in the public spaces. Right? right? It's like what kind of kids are we raising? You know, do we want to raise the kids who are kneeling on the necks of other people, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you talk to Derek's friends, they, they say he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. He was a nice guy, right. right? So do you want that to be your child because you're not having these hard conversations and you're thinking that they're learning, they're picking it up, they know better, they're good people? We're finding that that's not enough anymore, <clears> you know? <throat> There's a difference between raising good people and raising, raising pro-justice kids For who sure. are you know, the activists, the agitators, the ones who are um, proactive and standing in the gap for other
1: people. Absolutely. I like that you said it's messy and you're probably not going to get it right a lot of the times as a parent. Even if you think you've been educated, you're still going to say the wrong thing to your kids. It's going to be messy in some ways. Um, In terms of of the messiness with social justice or raising them to be as conscious as possible, there's still going to be people that are believing in another way, that are gonna think that your way is the the wrong way. And they're gonna be very aggressive in in their stance with their beliefs against you. So how do people deal with the cancel culture that's happening, even when you feel like what I'm doing is is right, why I feel like what I'm doing is just, or I feel like I'm having good intentions. And it being messy, but then being judged by your friends, your family, your community, if you're standing up for something, how do people navigate that when they also just want to fit in and be light and, you yeah, know, survive yeah, and just not be made, made a, shamed yeah. for, their you know. How do you balance right? Yeah, how do yeah. you deal with that?
0: I think if you are really active in, like, the anti-racist work, um, you are going to lose people. Ah, uh, yes. You are. You are. Um, there's no way around that. Um So it it depends on how important the work is to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And your belonging may have to be with a different group of people. Right. right? As you start to change and grow, sometimes the people who we used to hang out with or the people that we used to be in our inner circles, they may fall off. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to be aware and prepared for that. Um, And I think people don't want to see performative Right anti-racist or activist work, right? They don't want to see people just putting stuff on their um, social media and then never addressing it again. And so I think coming from it from a sincere way, saying that now I'm at the point where I know I need to do better, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm I'm at the learning stage um, and I am learning and growing and listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if I'm not saying much, it's because I'm listening Right. Um, and I want to take in and, and get more knowledge um, and stand in the gap mm, using yes. my my uh, platform, my power, my whatever in ways that other people's voices are being heard. Yeah. So I think um, oftentimes people are being canceled because they are um, instead of staying standing for the work they're really standing for themselves mm. in the middle of the work, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think less talking, more listening, um, more allowing those who are being marginalized to be in the front um, while, while you're in the back, um, um, helping and su- supporting and empowering um, yes. in ways that,
1: um,
0: that you're following and not leading.
1: Right, yeah. You've been doing this work for, what, 30 years now? Is that right?
0: 30 years, yes. 30 years. It's on, evolved.
1: Yes, um, on on childhood development and yes, education yes, and parenting. And,
0: exactly, yes.
1: Um, and you've been married for 25 years, or you've been in a relationship for 25 years, right? Yes. And what has that been like, being with a white man in the society for the last 25 years? And what was it like in the beginning, and how has it shifted, and what do you see for the future for people that are... In those relationships,
0: yeah, I, I, um, we have definitely evolved. I mean, the the great thing about our, our relationship, which is why we gravitated toward <clears throat> each other's, right? Our basic foundation and values are the mm-hmm. same. Yes. Our political views the same. Our social um, leanings the same. So the that's our that's our core. Mm-hmm. Now the way we show up in that is different, yeah. right? Like we we are, I, there's a, a episode in the book that I talk about. Um, just in the last, this meant, this happened during the, the election, uh, last election or the election before last. Um, we were talking about an issue. I don't remember what the issue was, but as an educator, right, I see things a certain way, and as an attorney, he sees things a different way. Even though we're on the same page with the outcome, but mm-hmm. the process is very different. And whatever the topic was, we got into this, it became race-based. Really? Mm -hmm. And he said something to me about brainwashing my kids to only see race. Mm. And that made me crazy because I'm like, (laughs) um, as a black woman in this country, you don't don't get to tell me how to raise my black kids, Right. right? Because we raise our kids to be black in the world and in our house, they're whoever they want to be. Right. Because they look so, black. Right, right, right. So you can't um,
1: raise them white. Right, if exactly. You look black. If you
0: look half black, <laughs> you, you're, you're black. You're black in America. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, you know, we really had to unpack his statement in a way and to, for me to tell him why it offended me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his point was that we have to teach them to see. All perspectives, mm. which I get because that's what I teach, um, but it came off very kind of one-sided to me, right. and so we had to unpack it a lot because I said, I, I, "When it comes to race with our family, I, you got to take the back seat, right? right. This is my call, right. um, and um, you know, ultimately, we got to where yes, you're right, and then yes, you're right. We do have to see multi- multiple perspectives." Um, so, but we've learned to communicate things, uh, like that, you mm-hmm. know, like if he says something that I feel is a- offensive and he doesn't realize it, I have to call him on it. Yes. And even when he doesn't understand why we will have to talk through it yeah. again, you know, because he's an attorney, he likes to <laughs> analyze this process, case, right? right? Yeah. This is my case. <laughs> um, so we, it's, it was a working process. It always is right. Like any uh-huh. relationship, um, but generally, I would say he's he's supportive. He understands what it means for me as a black woman. Um, our causes are the same. Our um, love for our kids to live in a better world, where yeah. um, skin color is just a fact and not something that's um, could be a weapon. Right. You know, right. I mean, I have five, four black boys. And um, I, I worry about them, mm. and I want to make sure that the world is safe. Yeah. And part of this work that I'm doing is really about not just me protecting. And this is kind of how the social justice parenting thing really kind of got going, because I realized it's not enough for me to teach my kids how to be safe and for me to protect my own kids, but I need people like you yeah. to see my kids. Right? right? I need other parents, white parents, to say, that's my kid too. And I think we need to get our country in a place that we see the humanness yes. in everybody so that it's my job to look after your children, your job to look after mine like a big village. And I think that's kind of where all of the ways I was trying to raise my kids to do that, I realized it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where it kind of became a bigger platform.
1: Do you think it's harder to be, um, you know... Uh- A white married couple, a black married couple, or interracial married couple in America today?
0: I think it's less about the race and more about the ideology and the core values, right? So I think if you and your spouse, your partner, are on the same page with the hard things.
1: Mm -hmm. What are the main things for the values they should be on the same page with?
0: I think the way that you show up in the world, like, for example, in my house, giving back, Mm -hmm. acknowledging our privilege Mm -hmm. and ways that we can use privilege for a tool for change and not as a weapon is really important, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Knowing that uh, we are responsible for other people, Mm. right? That's really important in my house. And if my husband didn't believe in that, it would be very difficult to be married to him, honestly. so I think your core value, and I, when I work with families, the first, first lesson we do together is, do you have core values in your house? Mm-hmm. What do they look like? Have they been written down? Um, are, there, are, are they in a place that everybody in the family knows what they are mm. and they know where to find them, right? right? If you have older kids, they need to be a part of that too. So that when you are parenting in the world, your kids are out in the world, you're out at work, you can ask yourself, does this align with my core value? And if it does, I'm going to keep going. If it doesn't, then I need to use those core values to realign me like mm-hmm. a GPS, right? Yeah. And get me back on track. Sure. So what I think...
1: What if you are been married, you haven't done that exercise, and you realize, okay, we're going to do this, and we have different core values.
0: Yeah, then that takes some work, right? That yeah. may need some outside help, yeah. right? I'm, yeah. I'm a big... Proponent of therapy. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, me too. Um,
0: and sometimes you may need somebody outside to really help you to kind of navigate that mm-hmm. space.
1: And what if your kids are resistant to your val vo- the core values of the family? And they
0: may be at first.
1: Like, no, I don't want to yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I'm, like I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this.
0: Yes, yes, and they will be some of them, especially mm-hmm. if they're older. Um, I've had we have family meetings, um, and mm. we have um, it's. It's, it's like safe space where kids can say and do what they feel even mm, though it, it's hard, um, but they don't get reprimanded at that in that space. Really?
1: Right. How often do you do the family meetings?
0: We used to do it once a week um, on Sundays after uh, dinner, um, and now we're down to like once a month.
1: Yeah, because a um, couple of your, your kids so are off to college. Yeah, two and...
0: are gone. yes. Yes. And so so what does that
1: look like? Is it 30 minutes? Is it an hour? How does that structure? So
0: it could be 30 minutes. It could be an hour depending on the topic, right? Mm -hmm. So we we used to, we don't do this as often, but we used to have like a jar where you write concerns, put them in, and we would take like one out a night, you know, on on our um, meeting to say, okay, why is this a concern? What's going on? Sometimes I would put just simple, easy things so it didn't always feel heavy, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But it's where my kids can. Uh, it's so important to create safe spaces in mm, the homes, right? So smart. it's where they can say things, tell me things that I know I have to shut up about. Mm, you, know? you can't send
1: them to the room, right? And ground right, them exactly. For their yes, opinion,
0: yes. And then my older kids now, when they want to talk to me, I said, "Okay, am I listening as a friend, or am I looking at listening as a mom?" Because that's very different for me. Um, and if they say, "I just need you to listen as a friend," I know there's certain things. That my mama bear would want to say that I have to kind of restrain myself wow. from saying. So I think um, well, sometimes those kids don't want to be doing that, yeah. but you just keep doing it. And eventually mm. they will. And even if they don't act like they they like it, in the back of their heads, they come back to it, right? It, it yeah. creates a foundation for them when they're off in their life. I know my daughter now says, boy, when you used to say X, Y, Z, I get it now. Yeah. I didn't get it then, but I get it now. So... It comes. It's it's
1: good to have those consistent uncomfortable meetings or conversations with the family because then you're not just sweeping things under the rug all the time. You're not just trying to hide things. You actually feel like you can kind of communicate how you feel in a safe space, right? As opposed to always hiding it. That's exactly right. What um what was the it also
0: gives them um, chance to practice when they're out in the real world. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: when there's an uncomfortable conversation and when they're an adult, they can actually work through yes,
0: it. Yes, because they have practice.
1: What um what was the hardest meeting, family meeting you went through and where you wanted, were like, man, this is just wrong. All my kids are wrong or bad or right. crazy thinking. <laughs> they need to all be, you know, sent to somewhere else, you know, private school, boarding school, sent to the room for a yeah. month. So was there something like that that ever happened?
0: I think when we talk about race, mm. it's sometimes can get heated. Really? Because... From the
1: kids, from your father, from uh, I, from your from your husband, or from you?
0: I think from all of us. Really? Wow. And I think because I am... I am a... I, I, I feel like as a black mother, I have to teach my kids how to navigate in the black skin. Mm. Like, it's a must for me. I, I have failed my kids if I haven't done that. Mm. Where my kids... They're so different in how they self-identify. Like my oldest son, who's actually has the darkest skin of all of my kids, he's very much like, Mom, I am biracial. I'm Mm. not black. Uh. I'm not white. And so he's the one that's 6'2", that... He has a black male presence. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, your presence alone, nobody cares that you're at Harvard. Nobody cares mm-hmm. that you play piano. Nobody cares that you're soft-spoken. They're going to see you're in 6'2 black f- male frame, and they're going to make judgments about who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be prepared for that. And so some of those conversations with teaching my kids how they needed to show up, even when they felt differently about who they are and how mm-hmm. they identified,
1: Too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com, where their award-winning app, State Farm, lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
0: Um, and that's what my husband's like, don't try to brainwash them. Like, let them discover who they are. Mm. And I'm like, it's not that easy. You know, you've lived in your white male skin all your life. And there's some things that you didn't have to think about. But there are things I think about every day. As a black mother, like what are those every day, you
1: think about um, the most.
0: I think about like, I did a post a couple months ago on my when my son went off to Harvard about the ten things that I had to talk to him about Ooh. to make sure he knew. Um, the first thing was always have your Harvard ID, not even your driver's license. People are going to need to know that you belong in that space. Right. Give them both. And you always write. You always have to be prepared. Mm. The other thing is. Always have your phone charged. There never there there has to be, never a time that you can't call me or call somebody to get help. Um, you're gonna have to eventually explain to your roommates, your white roommates, why you have all these rules, right? You're gonna have that conversation. Um, never be the only person of color in a white space at Harvard, wow. because I don't want somebody else's sloppy um, ways of showing up to become. Um, part of your story. Um, And so those are the kinds Mm. of things that I am very um, active in talking to my kids about that sometimes, you know, my kids do the, you know, it's different now, Mm, you know. Things have changed, mom. They're not the same. But when I see things like Breonna Taylor, Mm -hmm. Trayvon Martin, and I'm like, they're not that different. Right. That's work to changing those things, mm-hmm. but you have to also be prepared. Yes. So I always talk about with my parents that I I work with less protecting and more preparing. Mm-hmm. So we want to do those things with with our kids, <clears throat> right? We want to make sure they're safe, but we can't do that in a bubble and we can't do it in isolation.
1: What are your kids saying that uh, about racism in, in schools? Are they saying it's very racist in the schools they're in, growing up, and you know, elementary through high school and college? Or, like you said, it's different now. Is it is it different for them, or is it because they're mixed race that they're not experiencing the same harshness? What is this? I-
0: each of my kids, they've had different journeys. Uh-huh. Uh, my daughter has had a really tough journey of not being black enough, not being white really? enough. Really? Yeah, yeah. She she felt like she did belong in either worlds, right? So she really, I think that was led to some of her mental health challenges, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea of where do I belong? Wow. Um, and as a mother, how heartbreaking that is when my whole platform is about belonging, right? Mm. So that there had, there's been a time in my own daughter's life where she... Felt a lack of belonging, and so for me, that probably was the most challenging, uh, most heartbreaking part of uh, time during my my parenting. Yeah. Uh, and so she's seen how what that looks like. Um, she's felt she, that.
1: She she felt it. Yeah. She felt the uh, lack of acceptance or judgment or. Whatever that might be.
0: Absolutely, yes. Um, Is this
1: in middle school, high school, college? Like where? It started
0: middle. Started in middle. Okay. um, Which so not as much in
1: elementary school, huh? Not
0: as much in elementary. Yeah, started in middle school, um, which is where all of it starts, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of times, and through through high school, off and on. And I I would say, really, the last maybe three years is where she's really kind of got grounded into. um, I am a black woman. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, what this looks like for me, and it's okay if I'm not black enough for you. She's she's starting to develop that oh,
1: um, okay. agency. You're That's right. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How important is shaping the identity of your children, your, as a parent, versus allowing them to shape their own identity? And if they lack identity, does that hurt them in their childhood?
0: That is a really great question because as as parents. We want to guide them, right? We want to lead them. This is who you are. This is what you're (laughs) going to do. I want you to do
1: this. This is, yeah.
0: And that's based on our own fears, our own experiences, our own anxiety, right? right? And so that takes work to be able to let that go. Like, this is a small example, right? My husband and I played sports all through our lives, right? We just knew all of our kids would play sports. Like, that's Mm -hmm. kind of the natural, you know, for for many reasons, right? Health reasons, social reasons, um, you know, a lot of, Activities, negative activities are delayed when kids are busy in sports, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, naturally that we thought our kids would play sports, but we have one son who is not really into sports. Like he's into science, nature, um, you know, those kinds of things. And we were like pushing him into (laughs) sports. And it wasn't until we had to like say, okay, this is us. This is not him Uh um, to allow him to be who he was. And boy, he's this fantastic smart kid who knows everything about everything mm. in nature um, and he's so happy. And so I think we often think we know who our kids should be um, mm. and we don't allow them to tell us. Um, and I also think sometimes what we think are opportunities really are um, stressors for, for, for kids, right? Um, there's a book I read um, Is is it the The problem with privilege or the power of privilege. I can't Mm. think of the title. But basically, uh, this psychologist is basically saying the new at-risk kids are the kids who are upper middle class, who have all the opportunities, all the tutors, all the extras, because the parents are pushing this on them and the kids are having so much anxiety around Mm. that. And those are the kids that we need to be looking out for um, because they're hiding all that pain inside until it comes up. Negatively. that
1: probably goes against what a lot of people would think oh you're so privileged you've got all the support this help yes. you've got this private school whatever it is like you shouldn't have any problems exactly you yes. should be grateful yes. you should be happy whereas other people are, aren't having that opportunity but you're saying that they might have some pain hidden pain or shame right. or something or pressure'
0: or trying to measure up right mm-hmm. my daughter said to me um, when she was going off to school you know when she was uh, dealing with her depression, that what we saw were giving, giving opportunities to her, she felt it was just one more thing she had to be good at.
1: Ooh, she couldn't just relax and right, be a kid and right, be herself. Yes. Um,
0: and I play soccer, that's enough, but then I gotta be good at this, mm. you wanna do piano, you want me? And the disappointment that she thought she we would have if she wasn't good at all these things. And so I think really? that is the balance we have to look at, the opportunities versus the overwhelmingness that our kids feel like,
1: how do parents put their own lack of opportunities aside from their childhood well i didn't have this so i want to make sure you have it all And i'm going to force it down you and you got to do this because i didn't have this how do yeah. parents learn learn to let go of that i'm not a parent so i don't know what that feels like yet but i want to make sure that i'm preparing myself to not make that mistake
0: yeah i think one thing we don't do enough of is just listening to our kids <clears throat> Like we're always telling them, we're always talking. Right. Sometimes we just need to sit and listen in quiet spaces. Finding time where your kid can lead um, is really important. And Where your you kid can lead. lead? Yes.
1: How do parents learn to let their kids lead?
0: That is not easy, yes, yeah, it's not. <laughs> what does that look like? I think sometimes it's going out like on a date with one kid, right? They plan the date. We should, And we don't do it anymore because we just, our lives are so busy. But I try to have a date with one kid, you know, once a month where they plan the date. They decide what they want to go on and do. Not something that I plan Mm -hmm. because in that you get to know what's important to them, you know. And um, that's a time that you can talk to them um, about what's important, how they're feeling. It's like a Mm. check-in. And I think we don't check in with our kids enough. And and I'm guilty of this too. You know, we're so overscheduled. We're so busy um, that sometimes you just have to take a breath. And just check in. How are you feeling? What's going on? What I do? I have all of my kids on a um, a, a group text, mm-hmm. and every now and then I would just say, "I'm checking in." You know, give me give me a emoji of what's going on, how you feel. Emoji, right. just an emoji. Yeah, yeah. yeah, keep it simple. Right. So <laughs> then I can see. Okay, I need to be talking with this one a little ah. bit more because they feel like they had a sad face or a thumbs down or whatever. Really? So it helps me connect with them more and saying, okay, this one needs me a little bit more now. You know, and having five kids, right. I have to decide who needs me at that moment. But I think um, sometimes the parenting looks a little bit um, hands-off in terms of allowing them space mm. um, and not always directing and giving and doing. Um, but sometimes our kids, like my, my, my uh, son who doesn't do sports, He was very open, you know? I I really don't want to do that. I want to go on nature walks. I want to go collect frogs. I want to, you know, and I'm like, he's into like (laughs) anime, which I know nothing about when he talks to me as a different language, but I have to force myself to listen, you know, Uh, because it's important to him. Right. So I think allowing our children to find out what's important for them, and it may not be, like listen, when my daughter and my second, third son gave up piano lessons, it was like, uh, oh devastating to me. Like the sports was devastating for my husband when one of my kids gave that up. Um, and I think we he and I helped navigate each other around those hard yes. things. But I think the more we can listen to our children, doesn't mean that they're always gonna tell you the right thing, right? right. So there's some things that mm-hmm. they say and you yeah. have to say,
1: you I'm know, doing what? It anyways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you and thank you for telling me what you say, but as your mother Right. I'm going to have to make the call on this because of my mm-hmm. experiences, right, because right. of what I see five years from now that you may not be able mm-hmm. to see. Um, and sometimes we do have to make that call. But I don't like saying because I said so. Mm, yeah. Which I got a lot. You know, you got when, a lot. I got as a parent. I mean, as a kid, you got that as a kid, was yeah. it. Right, My dad's because I said so. Like, mm-hmm. there's no talking about this. There's no talking through this.
1: What happens to your kids when parents say that over and over again?
0: I think it, it it stops them from talking to you, oh. right? It shuts down. They don't get to discover who they are. Um, and they don't get to, to lean into the natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get a chance to explain what they're feeling. So their voices get lost. And if their voices are lost in the house, how in the world will they be able to use it out in the world? Ooh. Right? Wow. So I think allowing them to have that space in the homes is the way that they practice of showing up mm. in the
1: world. So if you don't have, are able to, if you're not able to use your voice in the house, how are you able to use it in the world? Or maybe you lash out in the world because you weren't able to use right. it in the home, or yes. maybe you know, or maybe you shut down in the world. Um, that's interesting. So how can parents create a safe environment for kids to speak up on their opinion or their feelings or their thoughts about something? And the parent maybe feel like you know, I know they're just chaotic right now or confused but this is really something they should be doing for a few more years. How do you do both keep them you know focused on their school and their homework or doing their sport or their lesson or whatever it might be for another year or two but also listen to their their needs or wants in that moment
0: And that could be the compromise mm. listen I really think this is important for you um, Why don't we if, if we can agree that you'll do it for six more months? And And you go all in. You you have a
1: smile on your face. Right,
0: yes. (laughs) You show up for six months. And after that, let's revisit this conversation. Um, And let's see if we, we, there's some adjustments that that need to be made. That's good. Yeah.
1: Did you do that with a piano so, situation? I or? tried
0: to, but he, he didn't like, want it. Didn't, yeah, so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to force <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I just said, you know, tell me the reasons. Um, you know, this could really be good for you later on in life, you know. And then I have the one kid now who's who stopped, and he is in middle school, and he got keyboarding, you know, piano for one of his electives. Um, and now he's kind of like, he's like, I kind of like it now. You know, it's interesting. Like, it's so funny because
1: I wish my parents... Would have kept me in piano. You know, later in life, you look back and like they sent me to piano lessons. I think I did three, and I was like just complaining the whole time. And I was like, no, I just want to play sports. Yeah. But I'm like, man, I really appreciate music now. I wish I could have that skill. I wish they would have kept me in it. Yes. yes. But at the time, I was glad they got me out of it. Right. So it's yeah. like, how do we? <laughs> yes. You know, it's like we want want something now, but then we regret it later. I have friends who are, their parents speak Spanish but they don't speak Spanish. And I'm like, what? For me, I'm like, I would do anything to speak another language, right? And your parents chose for the reason. They moved here. They wanted you to speak English. Like, I get it. But it's like, aren't there certain things that we as as humans should want our children to learn? I don't know. It's just like a messy uh, situation.
0: And I think too, especially with the language thing, I think um, society has a big part in that, Mm -hmm. right? Because when... immigrants came over it the rule was to assimilate yes and in that it means stripping your language stripping your culture right and it's so you have generations of people who lost touch with 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 their homeland right And and their culture and which is so sad yeah because now these our generation well you're not my generation but your generation the adults are now saying, I, I lost all of that um, and I wish I could have had that back. Mm. So I think...
1: It's like, it's how do you navigate yeah, that? The yes. balance of like, man, wishing your parents would have forced you to do certain things. Right. You know, you're yes. like, oh, why didn't you teach me yes. this?
0: Yeah. I feel
1: like as a parent, there's no matter what you do, you're wrong in some way.
0: I think we're always evolving as humans, uh-huh. right? And the thing that we... We did the best that we could when we when it was that time, oh, right? Yes. And so, I think, um, like I say to my daughter, you know, when we're having these conversations about her always, and I'm like, you know what? I did the best that I could at that moment. Uh-huh. Looking at it from your perspective now, I totally understand that, and I'm sorry I didn't see that then. Mm. Um, but unfortunately for you, but fortunately for your brothers, I can correct that oh, <laughs> now, man, right? That's tough. So being the oldest, <laughs> so it's just Difficult, yes, Gosh. yeah. But I think as, as we evolved as human beings, our parenting skills evolved too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think often we're just doing the best we can at the moment that we can do it.
1: How do how do kids learn to forgive their parents for not giving, them when they're 18, 25, 35, 50, and say, ah, oh, my parents didn't do this for me, and not hold on to that frustration, or anger, yeah. or resentment, or you said, because I said so all the time, I just needed you to listen to me. You told me to do this, but I didn't want to do it. You didn't teach me Spanish, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How do we for- learn to forgive our parents as humans?
0: I, I was that, you, you answered the question, right? Knowing that they're humans, right? Mm. And that we don't always show up the best way. Um, and that at the time that they were doing that, it was the best decision that they knew at that point. Yeah, um, And we can't hold on and let it impact the way that we show up for ourselves and for our own children when when that's all our parents could give us at the time, right? right. And we have to be okay with that, even though it's painful, You know, sometimes traumatic for, for adults, for kids. Um, but that's all that they had at that point. Um, and I think what I think is really important, um, and it goes back to this, being present, being intentional, being conscious, being self-reflective, we have to then look at our own childhood and mm. say, these things were really great that my parents did, and I want to make sure my kids get that same thing. Right. These are the things that didn't go well in my childhood, the things that I felt hurtful about, and I'm going to be darn sure that that's not going to show up in the way that I parent. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's making good. hard choices for yourself and being reflective um to show up differently. Yeah, that's um, powerful. Yeah.
1: And how do we raise healthy, conscious, ha- uh, happy, thriving humans without overparenting?
0: I think modeling what that looks like as an adult is really important. Um, I think allowing them space for mistakes and grace for mistakes mm-hmm. um, is important. Um, I also think one of the most important things that we can do for our kids is to listen. And not always feel like because we have more years, because we have maybe more knowledge, that it's always right. Um, And I think we don't give children enough um, credit for what they know and how they see the world. I mean, they really have natural curiosities that they really should explore. When we shut those things down, you know, we shut off opportunities, experiences, um, and ways of showing up for others. And so I think being very active in listening um, to our kids who are very different, right? So you need more, if you have more than one kid, there's different ways that you have to show up right. and being willing to do that.
1: What would you say are then like the, the five core rules of parenting today in our society? If you're like, here are the five principles you, you should you should learn as a parent right now.
0: I would say self-reflection.
1: Self-reflection.
0: Is number one.
1: What does that look like?
0: It means to think about how you're showing up, think about your fears, right, your Mm -hmm. own anxieties, how they're showing up in your parenting, how I can do things differently, Um, where do I start, what's the one thing that I can do today, Um, how do I begin to separate my own childhood from my parenting. Um, So I think, and, and it's a constant, right? The way I showed up yesterday for my kids it's not the way I want to show up tomorrow, right? Mm. So what do I need to tweak? What do I need to do? I know when I was writing the book, when my kids, my kids were home, right? Everybody was home during the pandemic. Yes. And they would come to me asking questions and I would be in the middle of a thought and I would we'll be focused. stop it, stop <laughs> it, right? Wait. And so with that, I'm like, okay, this is not the way I want to show up for my kids every day. Uh. And so we devise a system, right? I'm going to put a whiteboard here. You write your question down, and the minute I take a break, I'm coming to you with that question so we can answer it. So you don't forget, so you don't think you're not imp- what mm-hmm. you're saying is not important. So finding ways to, to reflect cool. on the way you show up. Creating and, and boundaries for
1: yourself also. Yes, absolutely. Just not being available for your kids 24-7 to interrupt you whenever you're doing something important for you. Absolutely. But also setting ground rules and boundaries is what it sounds like.
0: And kids need that, and they yeah, want it, the and they thrive in it. Yes, structure. Absolutely.
1: Man. Okay, so self-reflection. Okay,
0: self-reflection. Um, the other thing I would say is um, modeling, the, modeling what you want your kids to do and who you want them to be.
1: Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this
0: Right. We can say all kinds of things, (laughs) but it's in one ear, out the other, if you're doing something different. So our actions, you know, how you show up, how are you showing compassion, how are you showing kindness, how are you um, problem solving, you know, how are you leaning into your own curiosities, Mm -hmm. you know, and what that looks like for your kids. Right.
1: Uh, So being a leader for yourself. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes.
0: And admitting when things are not going well, letting your kids see you do that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah um so um the third thing i would say is showing compassion and kindness to Mm. yourself right that's the hardest thing for me really i have a hard time i have a lot of negative self-talk when things don't go well for myself and i have to i I call it the mean girl inside right Mm. Um, i have to shut her down and sometimes especially with my daughter i want my, I wanted my daughter to hear how I shut that mean voice down. How do
1: you, what, do you, what are the things your mean girl says, and how do you shut her down?
0: Um, you're stupid. That's not good enough. You're a terrible mom, if I make a mistake, right? Mm. Um, uh, or you shouldn't wear that. Nobody wants to see you in that if you're on stage. You know, d- different things like that. I have wow. to, um, you know, you weren't kind to your kids. What kind of mom are you? I do a lot of that. Or wow. if I, I'm, I'm an empath, so I, like, take on all the work that I do. It, it, so when I need to take a break... She will say, um, "How do you get to take a break when people are hurting?" Oh, like, man. So yeah. So I. Dang, that's would a mean talk girl. Of you. Man. <laughs> <No. Say.
1: laughs>
0: so I have to talk that out loud. Mm. So if my kids are having that mean thing going on too, they get to hear how I do that in my head, but out loud, so that they can start doing what it. What do you say to? So I'll say, "Okay, self, I hear you saying that I'm not a good mom, right? I know that's not true, right?" I didn't make a good choice, but I know I'm a good mom. So I am going to do something or say something that's going to remind yourself that that's just one 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 time, one mistake,
1: one moment. It doesn't define you. Exactly. Yes.
0: And so having those conversations out loud or having my kids hear me think through a problem um, is really important. And then also allowing them to problem solve because it's faster, it's easier. You love your kids. You want to do these things for them. But I do, I I try to show up in a way that I'm not doing it for them, like allowing them to suffer through and work through, like we were talking about earlier, the messy stuff, in order for them to learn how to do it when there's bigger, higher stakes involved. That's Um, cool.
1: Okay. Yeah. So show compassion to self and others. And then number four.
0: Number four would be be open to getting help. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Ooh. we can't do it all by ourselves. We're not experts in everything. Surround yourself around a village of people who can help advocate for you and can help you fill in the gaps where you need it. Um, it's very hard, I think, as parents, because we don't like to say we, get any, we don't know as a parent. Mm. right? That's, that's hard. Um, but I think surrounding yourself around people who can support you is really important. And again, it teaches your kids to do the same, that you we we need each other, right? We need to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some things we need to do on our own, but there's some things that we need help with. And it's okay to find the right people and to get the help you need.
1: You know, I think we pressure ourselves too much or others to be experts at everything in life or to know everything in life when we don't have the time or the energy to be experts at everything. And one of the things that I feel fortunate to have created for myself is I wanted to learn all these things for myself, so I interview people, I have people like yourself on my show. But I don't have the time to make this my life, every right. topic that I interview someone on. I don't have the time to dive into neuroscience. I don't have the time to dive into nutrition and dive into uh, money and investing and you know, I don't have the time to do everything to make it my life's mission. So I try to learn what I can and be like, okay, I'm educating enough, and then have access to people that I could call upon if I need some support.
0: I love that, that's a great example. Coaching, Um, support, help
1: me in my money, help me in my my relationships, my nutrition, my fitness, my spirituality, I call upon people for support. I love that. I don't try to be the the king of every topic, you know? Right. And I think that's, um, it makes me feel at peace knowing that I have a, a community of support. That I can call upon when I'm struggling.
0: I love that. I love that. As right. opposed to be like,
1: I need to know it all, or I'm not going to call on someone because it's going to make me look weak.
0: Yes. You know. What yes. I mean? And that is that fear coming in, yeah. right? Of worrying about what other people think about you. I love that you that you put that in in, in the sense of your podcast, but mm-hmm. really, that's life too, right? Life. Yes. Yeah. We need a good team. We need yes. a good village. You yeah. play what sports? Did you play? I played softball, soccer, and reinterpreted.
1: Yeah. yeah, and for me, I make this analogy as well. I did track and football and basketball. And for me, um, I after sports was done for me, I played arena football for about a year and a half after college, I played with the USA handball team for the last 10 years. But really after I was done playing professionally and transitioned into business, I was like, why would I stop having a coach in my life? When this is what coaches, Helped me learn the most, gave me discipline and structure, gave me feedback in my sport for that three month season. They made me better in that sport. Why wouldn't I get coaches in my life? So I have a coach for my relationship, I have a therapist coach for my emotions and my thoughts. I have a, a coach for my investing and my business. I have a coach, I have trainers for my fitness, I have a nutritionist because I wanna optimize these things. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have all that when I was broke, sleeping on my sister's couch, but I had mentors. I had family support. I had people in my community who were experts. And then as I was able to invest in coaches, I invested in coaches. But I think we should be seeking personal advisors in our life who are more experts at that thing than us. Yes. And there's someone you know who works out consistently or someone who eats better or someone that's got a good relationship that you could find that support with that I think in your life.
0: Absolutely. So
1: I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about coaches in my life and I'm always telling people, please find support. Find coaches, mentors, family, friends, whatever it is. You know, whether you're investing in it or not, find someone to help you.
0: Yeah. And I think too, we're seeing, I mean, I was watching something on, um, I don't know if I heard it on NPR or something, but about, you know, the the rise in mental health issues you know post-pandemic right and um the importance of having somebody to to have those conversations absolutely. to talk about right is so important and so i think important. like you're saying we know our limits but if we can surround ourselves around people who can who know us well enough to know let me get this out of him let me mm-hmm. support him with that um and i love the analogy of coaches because that's basically what it is right right yeah right.
1: absolutely i mean You know, LeBron James, after he wins the first championship, doesn't say to himself, you know what? I got this basketball thing figured out. I don't need a coach for next season. Like, I'm going to do this this on my own because I'm the greatest. I'm going to go do it on my own. No, he's like, no, how can I surround myself with a better team? How can I find the coach to push me more so I can stay great?
0: And he's got meditation coaches. Everything. Yeah, right? Everything, (laughs) right? So it's
1: like, why don't we have coaches in our life? I think sometimes we we have been conditioned to think it's if we can't figure it out on our own, then something's wrong with us or yes. something's and broken. And I think that's
0: part of our society, right? We we create that monster in our in our society about being stronger, not asking for help, um, being able to do things on your own, and we need to just kind of bust that myth.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm so glad that that therapy is becoming more mainstream yes. and it's talked about more. Um, because, you know, I've, I've been going to therapy every two weeks for the, for this whole year, and it's been so helpful for me. Just even, even if I don't have a problem, or I don't have any challenges in my mind or my emotions, it's just like, what can I keep improving on? How can I get feedback and be a better person? How can I make sure to set myself up for if something happens in the future and just be prepared? It's just powerful to be able to talk and oh, yes. have someone to listen to you. And I'm not saying everyone needs to do therapy, you know, but it's like, we should have a space where you talk to someone consistently, your friend, your partner, right. in a safe space. Yes, so.
0: I love therapy. It's and powerful. It, it, it's, we don't have it enough in the black community, for really? sure. Yeah. Is it
1: accept? It's not acceptable? It's looked a, down upon? A
0: few things. One, it's um, black g- generations, right? The medical field and black people have not been the best of friends, right? right. There's been a lot of science Experiments tried on blacks, mm. you know, sharecroppers and the Tuskegee mm. Mm. Um, syphilis test, those kinds of things. And a lot of older black people have that in their minds that I'm not letting anybody in my mind, right? Oh, okay. um, so that's one. The other thing is the religious factor. So uh, the black community and Jesus, right? Yeah. That's a partnership that if you go to therapy, it means I'm not having faith or trust in Jesus oh, to fix wow. it, right? So that's another kind of myth that that we're struggling with. And the other thing is, is financial, right? Mm-hmm. It's therapy is expensive. Yes. Um, my therapy, my kid's therapy, it's not always covered in insurance, it's That's out right. of the pocket, right? right? And then the last thing I think it is, um, a lot of therapists are not trained in culturally um, relevant or mm-hmm. responsive therapy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is a uh, anxiety tax, right? That comes along with being black. And if you go to a therapist who is not acknowledging that or not understanding that level of stress they didn't experience and that right, stress, yeah. right, yeah. So those are kind of the. the big, you think
1: you think um, the black community should should only uh, work with black therapists?
0: I don't. I, I my therapist was not black. My daughter's mm. therapist is not black. But you need somebody to know the black experience in yes. terms of being open to recognize that there's mm-hmm. an extra stress or something that comes along with being black or being open to learn that race is a big part of why we need therapy. Mm. (laughs) Um, Right. So, yeah, no, I don't think you have to be black, uh, but I do know there's not enough. I think there's 1% or 2% of the psychologists um, are black women. So it's 1% or 2%. I think it's 2%. I think the, the statistics were. So I think there needs to be more because a lot of people feel more comfortable with people like them. I mean, just like whether you would go to a woman or a man, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, like when I get a massage, I, I like, um, I would prefer a woman, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. it's just my preference. Yeah. So some people do have preferences, um, but um, I think there needs to be more educated um, therapists that are of color. Yes. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm hopeful that within the last couple of years with all the, the challenges that the world has seen that people wouldn't want to go and serve in the mental health space and the emotional health space more now and see, like, this is an opportunity where I can serve people and be of value and go into that field. So I hope that I hope that happens for people.
0: Yeah, because there's not enough. We have more patients than we have. I know, this right yes, now. Yeah. I
1: know. Okay, that was the, I think you said the fourth was thing, was four. be open to getting help. What would you say is the fifth rule of conscious parenting and, and being a great parent today?
0: I would say to have fun with your kids, <laughs> yeah. right? The, the, pandemic has shown us that we need to slow down right mm-hmm. and i reconnect with your children for no reason at all but just to reconnect mm-hmm. and i think we're so overscheduled that we don't get a chance to really know our children to really have fun with them in ways that they find enjoyable that i think we should just make sure we're taking time spending just quality time just Without a couple, electronics, yeah, just right. couple
1: hours a day where it's like, we're we not scheduling anything. You're not going to practice or class That's or right. homework. We're just being, if you want to play, play. If you want to hang out in the backyard, hang out in the backyard. If you want to do nothing, Yes. cool. To be open to just think and do that.
0: Exactly, yeah. Why do you
1: think we overschedule so much as parents?
0: I think we we think we know what's best for our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Again, we're, we're trying to close the gaps between our own childhoods, yeah. right? We want to live. Our lives through them. Mm. I see that a lot, and you know that in of course, sports, yeah, yeah. these parents are crazy, <laughs> crazy.
1: screaming they at the are, refs. Oh, it's poor. so bad. The eighteen year old yes. ref is just like, I'm making <laughs> ten bucks an hour, exactly. just showing up and screaming <laughs> up by all these parents.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and I think we are living through our kids too much in ways that it's causing harm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think you know part of it is we're trying to find out what they're good at, but then yes. I, some of it is just really. Um, The extra stress on on our children is way more enormous than we ever, ever thought.
1: Mm -hmm. If a parent today was only able to teach three things to their children, hypothetical scenario, what would you say are the three most important things they could teach their kids? Kindness, Mm
0: -hmm. compassion, um, and I would say what I call radical love. And that's like this all in, encompassing love that really thinks about others, uh, sees perspectives, um, and that you're willing to do stuff for other people um, without anything in return.
1: Mm. Does uh, is radical love include loving someone when they do wrong by when you? When they're
0: unlovable, right? Really? Yes. When they hurt yes. you,
1: when they do wrong yes. by you? Doesn't
0: mean you have to um, be friends with them. Right. But it's showing them human love, right? It's showing them that, you know, in spite of your lack, right? I can love you from afar, but I'm not going to allow that to cloud the way that I can um, spread joy in the world, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, too, it's loving even when it's hard, right? Finding a way to love even when it's hard. Wow. Um, yeah.
1: What's been the thing for you as a parent that's been the hardest for you to forgive?
0: I think for me, it's not... And we talked about this earlier. It makes me want to cry. Not seeing when my kids didn't feel like they belong. Mm.
1: All right.
0: Not recognizing that early.
1: In in the um, family or in life.
0: In life that they didn't find us, couldn't find a space. That there was something that I could have done mm. differently and shown up differently to help them to navigate that. Um, and I feel still hurt by that. Mm. You know that I didn't get that right.
1: Really. Yeah. What do you mean you didn't get it right,
0: though? I just feel like if this is my life's work, mm. you're gonna make me cry. Those. <laughs> if this is my life's work, mm. how did I not recognize that in my own home? Mm. Like, how did I not see, particularly my daughter, where she was struggling with all the opportunities, right, that we were giving her? Why didn't I see that it was too much? Um, how did I miss that in? my efforts to broaden her horizons Um, Mm. and I feel badly that I missed that for her.
1: Mm. Um, What is it that she needed and what is it that you needed in those moments?
0: She needed me to tell her, this stuff is not who you are. Um, This is extra, but it does not define you.
1: You mean the activities, the sports, the activities, the the
0: opportunities, the the music, the soccer, the you have to do this, you have to take that class, you know. That is not why I love you and that does not define my love for you in any way, Mm. right? You could do nothing and my radical love would be my radical love, right? And I don't think I gave her that message enough for her to feel like she had to perform all these things at a high level. So if I could go back... I would tell myself to plug in more with her um, Mm. and to make sure she recognized that what she does and who she is 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 different or separated. Yeah.
1: Well, what do you say to yourself now though about it? Since you can't can't go back. Uh,
0: Yes, I have forgiven myself for that, but it it is always conscious in my mind of how I show up Mm. now. So it's taught me to check in with my kids more. Um, It's taught me to say, okay, you're gonna finish this season because we started this season. After this season, if you decide when it's time to sign up next season and you're done with this, okay. you will be done with this, yeah. right? You know, you know, we finish what we start, but we can renegotiate. Yeah. So, yes. I do more renegotiating with my children. Um, you know, like you say, there's still structure. There's still things that I expect from my kids in terms of their um, the way they show up in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am very much more mindful of letting my kids know that they're not defined by the things that, yeah. the opportunities that they get.
1: It's interesting, I, I was in, I interviewed Kobe Bryant, and he said that his father said, I'm gonna love you no matter what. Like, I don't care, because he said one summer he didn't score a single point in like this basketball tournament when he was like 12 or 13 or something. He didn't score one time in like a whole summer of playing basketball mm-hmm. and uh, in this season or whatever. And his, he said that his dad told him, he's like, I'm gonna love you no matter what. Like, whether you're good or not at this, I just love you.
0: And that stuck with him. And it
1: stuck with him. And it, ma- it made him be like, oh, it doesn't matter if I fail, so let me just go out and give it all I got.
0: Because mm. my dad's gonna love me no matter yes. what. it took the stress off. Yeah. Some, at least, probably. But I yeah. think
1: that parents today, I'm generalizing this, I'm not a parent, but I, I'm generalizing this, that parents, I feel like parents today put so much pressure on their kids to be great when they're seven at yes. something. It's like yes.
0: So I'm like, this is a six-year-old game. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So
1: what does that do to children when you put so much pressure on them to be amazing and focus on the mistakes as opposed to celebrating their way of being?
0: Yeah, I think that's why we have a young generation um, having so many mental health challenges, right? Mm -hmm. I think um, depression, I think it's definitely, um, ultimately, sometimes they um, start doing negative behaviors, Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't know why, right? You have all the stuff. Yes. Why are you? Why would you throw it all away? Why are you? You know,
1: right? You're blowing in an opportunity. Right.
0: right. Yes.
1: Yeah. Whose opportunity? Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. The exactly. one I didn't get as a parent. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I'm. am um, curious about. Um. I see a lot of content online about narcissists. Like, there's so many narcissists in the world, and and uh, these narcissistic personality traits and things like that. How how can parents raise kids to not be narcissists in today's society with social media and the selfie culture and swipe left on, you know, dating all the time? Like how can and just getting attention in different ways than yeah. than we used to get, I guess, attention or acknowledged growing up. How can parents raise kids to not become narcissists?
0: I think one saying no to your kids is really important. Not get, give them everything. Not give them everything, mm. right? You have you have to have those boundaries, you have to have structure where um, no is is used in a way that you can explain your no, but that you stick with your no. I think the other thing is to take your kids out of your bubble, <laughs> right, and let them experience the world. Kids need to see that other kids don't have a lot of things, right? They need to see that um, the importance of being compassionate and kind um And that the things that we have are not promised, they're not guaranteed, and they're not normal. That's what I tell my kids. The way you live is not, this is not normal.
1: Right, you going to Harvard is rare. That's
0: not normal. Yes, (laughs) right? You know, yes, there's sacrifices that we're making. But some people don't even get these opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important that parents are showing kids that, um, it's important to do for other people early, mm. early, like Service. building that habit early. Yes, yeah. yes. And there are little things you can do. Like some of the things we did when my kids were younger, um, we would be in the drive-thru at Starbucks, right? We would pay for the person behind mm. us or whatever drive-thru line. Um, when we we're at the grocery store, we would give an extra 20 or $30 until the, the cashier to put it in the next person's tab. Mm. Um, little things that we can do that they don't have to be. One of my um, friends, her family builds these, um, you know, the little uh, libraries that people have in their yards where yes. you could take a book. And yeah, that's cool. They did it for like a pantry mm. so that you could put non-perishables in oh, there. And that's cool. so my, my kids and I go and we put things in there, you know, because I think I explained to them, this is somebody's meal to, this is just mm. a can in our cupboard. But this is another family's meals today. Yeah. Um, and so I think allowing kids to know what it's like to serve others yes. is really important.
1: <sighs> Not be served upon yes, all the time.
0: Yes. And and this a question for you too. Yeah. What do you feel about this? I, I have a I have a, a, I think a, a strong feeling about this, but as somebody who plays sports, uh-huh. right? What do you feel about the culture of everybody wins? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets an award.
1: I don't like it. I mean, I didn't. I didn't get that growing up myself. I, we got like ribbons, I guess, for like different places. But I remember feeling sad when we lost because I didn't get what I wanted. We didn't win. We didn't get a trophy and things like that. And um, I think there's a whole other topic around like how to deal with losing because yes. I, I wasn't a good loser. I was a bad. Yeah, yeah. I was a bad <laughs> loser uh, emotionally because I tied my self worth around winning. And if i didn't win that means no one would love me mm. so that was a story i told myself so i had to unlearn that in my late 20s early yes. 30s um, but i think i think acknowledging people for the effort and the attitude is always powerful you didn't win so you don't get the medal but i want to acknowledge you for the attitude you showed you showed effort you hustled for that there Great job on that. Here's yeah. what if you want to win, this is what it's gonna take. Yes. If you wanna get that gold medal or that trophy, here's what we're gonna to need to do. You're gonna to need to learn these skills, you're gonna have a better attitude, like and teach them the process of winning in competition.
0: Yes. I, I love that. Personally. Yeah, I, I ditto on all of that. Yeah, yeah. Because I think when we when we're always winners, mm-hmm. then kids always feel like, serve me, I'm always winning, I'm right? I'm always the best, yeah. right? And then that kind of feeds into that. That, that notion of it's all about me um, mm-hmm. and I, I agree 100% that we're all we're all not winners at this game like we've we've lost you did a great effort this is what you did well yes. these are things you need to prove on uh, but that team was better right yeah. today and there's only one winner yeah.
1: in the game yeah. 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 yeah so
0: i think that message of we're all winners could be hurtful in some ways yeah
1: i think it's i think it's teaching that you know in sports there's a there's someone who wins the game and someone who doesn't win the game. But you can always become a better person in the effort and the attitude yes. and the experience and the lesson. So the great coaches I had would sit us down after the, the, the loss and say, how did we win here? What, what was the lesson? Where did we grow here? You know, what can we acknowledge and appreciate about people's efforts and the play that they made? Man, we didn't win today, but this was a great effort. This was a great play. You scored here you you improved a problem last week. Let's continue to focus on the growth and acknowledge the effort and the growth and the attitude as opposed to we lost. Yes. And the ones that were like, you know, you guys gave your all today. They were just a better team.
0: Right. You have nothing yes. to be ashamed of.
1: You did the best you could do. You left it all in the field. That's all you can that's all you can ask for. Right. Attitude, yeah. energy and effort. Is really all you can ask for.
0: That's right, right. That's it do, and it doesn't always end up the way you want it exactly. to but on the scoreboard, the work, right? Exactly. But in your yes. heart,
1: hopefully, it shows yes. up in the way. The work you ethic. Yes. yes,
0: that's what. After every game, I ask my kids, "What did you do well? What was mm-hmm. good? What did you do well?" Yeah. yeah. And then after they do that, I say, "Okay, what can you do better for next time?" Mm-hmm. Because it helps me. It helps me see how they. Again, this goes back to me wanting to know that this sport isn't who they are, they, yeah. that, that they know that. So it helps me see that they can separate the game from who they are. Right. Like if they that's say, the I sucked. Yes. Like, okay, you don't suck. You did not play your best today. Let's talk about why yeah, and what you do. So that kind of helps me to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also lets me see that they're not being so... Over, overly bragging when mm. they shouldn't be like I was awesome I, we won because of me you know so I want to squash Ooh, that too good. right so I want to see how they can self-regulate yeah. um, on both sides on both sides that's yeah. good yeah
1: that's powerful man
0: yeah.
1: is there a, how important is the language we use as parents when our kids are around us
0: I think extremely
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of the things that we should never say as parents
0: I think we should never tell our kids that they suck, Mm. right? I think the words that we say are powerful words. They're Mm. powerful, right? They are powerful in the way our kids think about who they are. Um, My husband can be harsh with his words. He's very direct. And I have to say, okay, I know what you meant, but this is what it sounds mm-hmm, like, right? Mm-hmm. And so, especially when it comes to sports. Yes. Um, and so, I have to go unpack it, right? This is what was said, but what what I think you're trying to say to them is this, mm-hmm. right? And our kids need to hear that from you, and not that y- you suck today, or right. he, those aren't his exact words, right, but basically right. that's what they feel. Yeah. Um. And I so I always tell my <laughs> kids it's not what you say, it's how you say that's it. That's true. Right? It's the that energy really, around your yes, words. Yes. Yeah.
1: So you could look angry and say, I love you. And people are going to feel like, oh, exactly. you don't love me. You know, it's <laughs> right. like the energy, the, the context of your words. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious about if there's kids listening or watching that uh, they feel like their parents are racist. How do children have conscious conversations with their parents that maybe they said a racist remark, maybe they're not even aware of what they're saying, but it feels racist or they feel like my parents are racist. How do they approach their parents without being made wrong, shut down?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, in in having a conversation around that racist comment or that, whatever, the energy, the, the experience yeah. that felt racist, how can they approach their parents without feeling afraid for their life?
0: Yeah. I, and I think it first of all, it goes back to whether you've created safe spaces for your kids at home, right?
1: Let's say they haven't created so a safe space. If they
0: haven't created a safe space, it makes it a little bit more difficult, right? I think um, a lot of times, I know when my child was going through um, a hard time, he and I would journal right? right? So he didn't feel like he wanted to talk to me about it, but he'd write stuff in his journal, and we'd pass the journal back and forth in our drawers so that um, I, I would wake up. Open my top drawer, and the journal would be in there. And we'd write. We'd write that thing. Mm, that's cool. Um, so maybe sometimes putting things in writing, if you don't have a feel like you have a voice, that at least you can get it out. Um, I would also say talk to somebody that you feel safe mm-hmm. to be able to unpack it with them first. Um, also, I, I think if if sometimes we think our parent is saying something racist and our parents have no idea that they're saying something racist. I've had friends, some of my white friends would say to me, um, my daughter said what I said was racist. Is this racist? And she would say to me, you know, she would ask me. um, And I think younger generations, they see things differently than the older generations do in terms of language. Um, And I think... Are those
1: things racist when they ask you?
0: They could be... um, Misinterpreted as such, yeah. right? Um, and I would say, well, it's not—it's not racist. It's just not—not not really nice, it's right? Not sensitive. Right. Yes. Are, so, are kids overly sensitive today? I think they're using the words. They're overusing words, right? Uh, um, like what? What words? Uh, racist. Do they use? Like yeah. my kids was something will happen, and my kids That's say racist. You're things. racist. He's racist. Yes. she's racist. And I'm like, hold horror. Yes. Yeah. We're not using those words in that way. That word is powerful, and it should be saved when it really matters. Because if we make light of it, um, the the weight of that word then loses its weight, right? And so you better mean, when you say that word, you better mean it. Even just like bully. Like, he's bullying Mm. me. I'm like, he's not bullying you. He's annoying you, yes, but he's not bullying you. Yeah, he's
1: not nice. Right,
0: right. When you use that word.
1: But it's not like he's... Putting you down right, and just posting right, stuff about exactly. you online and shoving yes. you in a locker right. and you know yes. doing something like yes. that. There's microbullying, you know, but it's like right.
0: Yes. So how do people? And I think that the culture is using these words more. Yes,
1: right? and yeah. so when the culture is using it uh, more frequently for things that maybe like aren't nice, but maybe isn't a fully racist or bullying mentality. How do we learn to communicate and, and without? People feeling like, I'm just living my life trying to, you know, not walk on eggshells all day with my every word I say because you're misinterpreting it as well.
0: Yeah, that's the messy part, right? right? It's like, that's <laughs> that's not, that wasn't part.
1: racist. Yes. But you're interpreting it or you're just saying this blanket yes. language.
0: And I think we have to start talking more. Mm. Like, we are not... We're making judgments about people, we are have in our silos with people who look like us or act like us, and we're not talking enough. Mm. Like we, We're living in such a black, white world, and I don't mean that in, in racially, but just yeah. wrong, right, right, black, white, and we forgot about all the gray in between, um, and I think we need to get back to more gray areas where we have dialogue about this is what I really meant, um, if this was offensive to you, I I didn't mean that way, and I need to be able to say to you, look, Louis, you said that, I know this is what you meant, but this is how it made me feel. Mm -hmm. And you need to then say, that never occurred to me, but your lived experience is different from mine, Mm -hmm. so I accept that and I apologize. And then we move on, right? We get so caught up in not saying the right thing, being afraid to apologize, being afraid to say what we, we want to say in a very respectful, radical love kind of way, Mm -hmm. right? that we then say nothing and that silence breeds all kinds of things that we don't really intend for it to, to, to breed. And I think having those hard conversations, living in the mess, being able to go to somebody and say, hey, let, let me just say this to you. Um, this was offensive to me. Let me tell you the history behind that and, and explain to you why I found it offensive. And then you or the other person not feeling like well, I didn't mean it that way, you know. Mm-hmm. But really listening and recognizing that because our lived experiences are different, where we are going to see things differently, and right. that's okay too.
1: And I think it takes responsibility from both parties. Absolutely. the one that's feeling offended to not attack and be overly aggressive in your communication of like you did this to me and you made me, you know, made me feel this way. Then the person's going to be defensive, right? So it's learning how to approach people as well, even if it felt like. That was not cool to say that. Yeah, you know, which is hard. I think it's hard hard. for both parties.
0: Yes, and I know in the work that I do with parents, I have some activists who say to me that I'm not doing it right. Right, I'm not doing it well. Say to you, you're not doing to me to me because some um, people in the in the in the black community feel like it is your responsibility, Mm Lewis, as a white male, to do the work. Mm-hmm. You need to educate yourself, you need to figure out why we're so we're angry or hurting or right. upset. Um, it's not my job to teach you. Mm-hmm. But as a educator, as a black mother, I think it is my responsibility to teach you mm-hmm. right because you don't know what you don't know right and, and who,
1: who are who are white people going to talk to if black people aren't going to Exactly, yes.
0: Right, right. Where are you going to learn it from? And that's my stance, right? Come to me and ask me. I want you to ask me the hard conversations so that we can unpack it so that you don't make the same mistake twice Mm. or that you can work around your fears in order to show up differently and teach your children Mm. to do the same. Mm. So, you know, these different schools of thought, one's not right or wrong, but I just ascribe to one versus the other. And um, again, it's about... um, Having this open, honest dialogue that's needed for us to be able to understand each other, yeah, um, in ways that we can show up for each other, yeah. Because listen, if we want things to change, it's it takes all of us. Like, there's no one group that's going to be able to do it by themselves.
1: Right.
0: We have to do it together.
1: I love that you said one of your principles was um, taking them out of your own bubble for your kids not to be narcissists, and I think that's just a good rule if you create kids as global citizens you take them to different neighborhoods in your city or you get them to travel to see other places and people that are of different perspectives they're going to be raised with just exposure to all sorts of people you know i was raised on in sports teams and in sports teams you know i'm not a lot of my teams being white was the minority right so it's like not all of them, but sometimes it's like, I'm being raised in my community from sports teams, but I was also telling you beforehand, I was in prisons for four years because of my brother. So I visited prisons as a kid and then we traveled and I saw like different people. My, my dad did something I thought was brilliant. We live in a small uh, white neighborhood in a small town in Delaware, Ohio, uh, but he wanted us to be exposed to the world. And when we were younger, he didn't have a lot of money to travel until I was older. But he brought the world to us. We had exchange students, seven exchange students from around the world live with wow. us for six months at a time. Brazil, Japan, Germany, Philippines, uh, France, all these places. So we had people from around the world when I was five until I was 13 live with us. So I had That's older amazing. brothers and sisters that from different languages, different cultures, different countries, cook their food have their flags up you know and live their culture in my small my house in my world
0: that's beautiful
1: because we couldn't travel early on but it was like it brought the world to us so he, he made us global citizens at an early age or at least be exposed to it yeah you know we had the opportunity to embrace it or not but and I think that was powerful for me um, and it just made me see the world differently
0: definitely so finding
1: ways to get you out get your kids out of the bubble in general whatever that looks like for you, I think is a powerful tool to yes. have kids more compassionate towards others.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So
1: um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just think it's important to get kids out of their bubble and not just say this is the way and this is the, like our culture is the way it is. It's like expose people yeah. so they're not stuck in that mindset constantly.
0: Yeah, and in real life, right? Because life. we kids are making up their minds about people, mm-hmm. you know, through social media, oh, through... TV through whatever um and I always say do do you want is that what you want to teach your mm, kids about the world right um because they're learning whether you're silent about it or not and so I think having kids exposed to differences mm-hmm. on your terms mm-hmm. right is better than what they're learning on on Instagram or right. Facebook or whatever they're on TikTok um, because that is a, could be a scary world.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And they're going to be on it no matter what. That's right. So you got to yes. expose them. You the got to counter, other it, stuff. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this book is exciting for people. I think everyone should be reading this book, getting this book, sharing it. Social Justice Parenting: How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice-Minded Kids in an Unjust World by Dr. Tracy Vaxley. I think uh, this is powerful. The tools you've given us here, the stories, the lesson, the lessons you've been sharing is inspiring and I want people to continue on this journey. Um, you give a lot of different exercises in here for parents and with kids and stuff like that, so make sure you guys get the book. Is there anything else that we should be thinking about before we get to the last couple questions? Anything else parents need to be thinking about to be better parents, kids need to be thinking about to be better children with their with their parents, anything at all?
0: No, I, I think the, the main thing is having that safe space where. Parents and kids I can like talk that. about hard things um, and be able to unpack things at home uh, like before that. they go out in the world. It's really
1: important. So at least once a month, having like yeah. a something. Designated
0: time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some families too who have like a safe word. Mm-hmm. So if a child says that word, it means the parent needs to sh- be quiet and mm-hmm. listen. And everything that that kid is saying, they're in safe zone and they're able to, to, to say it. You mm-hmm. know, if something's going on at school, they're feeling a certain way, Um so, you know, have a safe space, safe, safe word, safe time of the month, whatever it is. But listen.
1: I think it's also important for parents to take some pressure off their own backs. Because even you said yourself, this is your life's work. And you still haven't been, like, perfect as a parent or as a mother um, with some of your kids at certain moments. Or you, you miss certain things. and And not putting all the pressure on yourself as a parent to feel like, you got to get it right all the time as well.
0: That's exactly right. You can't
1: right. expect your kids to get it right all the time, yep. and you can't expect yourself to get it right all the time. It doesn't mean that you let go of responsibility of showing up and acknowledging that you didn't show up the right way or you could have done better, but you don't want to live with so much pressure and stress as well because then that's not a good model for your kids either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Remembering the human part. Exactly. Really. That it's yes. going to be
1: messy. Even if this is your life's mission, you're still going to mess it up at some point.
0: That's exactly right. Right? <laughs> That is perfectly said. <laughs> no
1: one's perfect. That's right. That's right. You know, I I have a I'm excited to be a parent one day, but I'm also like, even though I'm in this work, I know I'm gonna say something that I shouldn't have said, or I'm gonna, whatever, look at my kid in a weird way, or something yes. that's gonna be like in their brain forever. You know, you're gonna Very say true. something, they're like, man, they held on to that in their brain. <laughs> it's like, Dad, you said this when I was eight, and I'm like, what? I don't even remember <laughs> right, this. You know? right, it's like, exactly. I'm yes. sorry, I'm not perfect. So it's learning how to, you know. Forgive yourself, I'm assuming,
0: Absolutely. in the process Absolutely. of
1: being a messy parent. That's right. And being as conscious as you can, <laughs> right? Um, people can follow you on social media. You put good stuff over on Instagram. You've got your website, socialjusticeparenting.com. Tracy Baxley on um, Twitter as well. And this is a question I ask everyone called the, uh, at the end of our interview. It's called The Three Truths. So I'd like you to imagine a hypothetical scenario that it's your last day on Earth, many years away from now. So you get to live as long as you want, you get to accomplish all of your dreams, Um, you're happy, you're healthy, but for whatever reason, it's your last day many years away and all of the work, your book, this interview, your content has to go somewhere else. So no one has access to your content anymore. All your information, is gone, hypothetical scenario. But you get to leave behind uh, three things you know to be true three lessons you would share with the world from just personal life experience or work or, or whatever it may be for you, but three lessons you would share with the world. And this is all we have to remember you by. What would those three truths be for you?
0: Um, I would say that kindness and compassion mm-hmm. can change the world, right? Changes us internally, right? With our brain synapses, all of that, right? The more you give, yes. the the better, the the more you, um, the better you feel, the happier you know, dopamine and all that good stuff. Um, so I think uh, leaning into the idea of kindness and compassionate and how it can change the world and change you, um, I would say um, living in radical love um, yeah. is the tool that we need to live in a more humane world. Mm. And the third one um, I would say is um, taking time taking taking time to be present um, with what we say and what we do with people we love.
1: Man, yeah, that's those it. are good. Yeah, those are powerful. <laughs> well, Dr. A Tracy, question. I wanna I wanna acknowledge you for doing the work because this is information. And wisdom that a lot of us need to know, whether we're parents or not parents mm-hmm. yet. We're going to need to know this information if we want to raise children in a healthy way. So I acknowledge you for doing the work for 30 years in all the different sectors from early childhood to education to parenting now. And really appreciating, and acknowledge you for creating it in a way that we can consume it, creating it in a way we can understand it through this book by showing up, by being a leader in your community, and by trying to be of service in a messy world right now. So I really acknowledge you for your gift and, you. and uh, for being um, not a perfect parent. That's right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to be perfect. I appreciate that. You don't need to be perfect. That's right. You know, But you've got attitude, great attitude, great energy, great effort, and you keep showing up. And I Thank think that's you. what parents need to know that they gotta do as well. We can't expect our kids to be perfect in sports and music, and we can't expect ourselves to be perfect, but you're being a great role model. In this process, so and I and I can only imagine the challenges you face with uh, you know uh, a mixed family, of what what that's like navigating those other complexities with societies right now. So I really acknowledge you for being a great mom. Uh, Thank you. Mo- most of all, and your your kids are the kids love you. I know that. Um, this is the final question. What is your definition of greatness?
0: I think oh, I. And I'm, I'm at the, I'm going to repeat myself, yes. <laughs> but I think it's about being of service to others, mm-hmm. right? Allowing um, who you are and what you have to serve other people. I think it, it's really, that that's the greatness I want my children to yes. have, right? To know that who they are and what they do um, can always serve somebody else. Yes. So I think when you see yourself as a servant, servant leader, I think that's, that's, to me defines you as something great.
1: I love it, yeah. Tracy. Thank you so much, appreciate thank it. Thank you, appreciate this you. is great. Powerful. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys, so share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great.